Welcome back to the Adam Schefter podcast as we continue to assess the NFL schedule. And to help us do that, we will be joined today by the NFL executive Mike North, one of the scheduling czars who helped come up with the 272-game schedule that produced many headlines and many interesting comments. And Mike North will be here to help break it down. We'll also be joined today by a man who is on this podcast recently this offseason. He was at that point in time a free agent tight end who has since signed a three-year $12 million deal with the New Orleans Saints, their new tight end, Foster Moreau. And the interesting part of his story, of course, is that during a routine free agent physical with the Saints in March, it was revealed that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. He obviously progressed well, and now he will get to play for his hometown team, not far from where he played college football at LSU, the team that made him aware of his condition, where he'll also reunite with his former Raiders quarterback, Derek Carr, will be joined today by the new Saints tight end, Foster Moreau. We look forward to hearing from him. And yes, we are in the offseason, but even the offseason still produces seismic headlines. None bigger than last week, the Washington Commanders entering into a purchase and sale agreement with the owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Devils, Josh Harris, to acquire the commanders officially from Tanya and Dan Snyder. This is a day that people around Washington have awaited a long time. And yes, the deal still has to be approved by the NFL's finance committee. And yes, it is not finalized just yet, but it is on track to happening. And it looks like Josh Harris and his partners, including the NBA great Magic Johnson will own the Washington Commanders before this season kicks off, which means that the Commanders fans are done with their run with the Snyders. And if you grew up a Commanders fan and are under the age of, let's just say, 30 years old, then you grew up watching a franchise struggle to give you any satisfaction. This is a commander's team that had more name changes under the ownership of Tanya and Dan Snyder than they did playoff victories. Three different names, I believe one or two playoff wins. And this is a team that continually disappointed, upset, annoyed, angered its fan base. And they don't have to worry about it anymore. Think about growing up as a Patriot fan in New England. If you're 25, 30 years old, you grew up thinking that championships were your birthright, that they were going to be there almost every year. Growing up as a Commanders fan has been just the opposite experience. And now Josh Harris and his partners, including Magic Johnson, Mitchell Rails, and others, will have the chance to change the perspectives of the fans who watch for and root for the Commanders. The other big headline this past week, Tom Brady speaking of the Patriots. And it sounds like he's going to be a limited partner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Even though it is not happening yet, I would be shocked if that deal did not get done and he was not approved as a limited owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Doesn't mean that he's going to be overly involved with football decisions at all. In fact, I don't think he will be, but he will be a part of the franchise. He already owns a piece of the WNBA Las Vegas Aces with the Raiders owner, Mark Davis, and this will complete that doubleheader of teams that he owns with Mark Davis, with the Raiders bringing in Tom Brady, the latest star, to make his way to Las Vegas in an endless stream of them. That deal is on track to happen, and it would be a major upset 
if it didn't happen. But we are in the quiet, supposedly the quiet, of the NFL offseason when stories are not as abundant as they are in the regular season. The biggest story, of course, was the release of the NFL schedule, and we'll have plenty more on that with Mike North, who shares the fact that actually the Las Vegas Raiders, the team that Tom Brady, Sue Malone, were a finalist, a finalist to play in the regular season opener against the Kansas City Chiefs and that the New York Jets are interested in potentially hosting the Black Friday day after Thanksgiving game on an annual basis. So we'll hear from Mike North on that. But for now, we go back to the Saints tight end, the fantastic Foster Moreau. There's my guy. Hey. How are you doing? You look good. Yeah, I feel good. I, I almost look as good as you do. I, I don't look very good, Foster. Hey, I'm not the one that I'm. I'm not the one that just signed a new three-year contract. That's getting ready to go to camp. I think when people see that headline, they go, "Wait, wait, hold on." The guy that was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma this season just signed a three-year deal, and he's going to and he's going to play this season. So fill us all in, Foster. What do we, what do we got here? So, um, I'd love to. Um, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for me, obviously. Um, so what's transpired since we last spoke? Um, basically I've gone through a bit of the ringer in terms of getting the diagnosis, fully understanding it and moving forward from there. So what has, uh, what happened since we last spoke, I basically, they came back and they told me that I had a rare cell type. Of, of Hodgkin's lymphoma called nodular lymphatic predominant Hodgkin's lymphoma, NLPHL, um, alphabet soup, they call it. Uh, but basically it's, it's, it shows up three to 5% in all Hodgkin's lymphomas and um, it's slow growing. It's non-aggressive, but it's still cancer, right? And so for me, that basically meant that I didn't have to undergo um, chemotherapy. I didn't have to go undergo radiation. I didn't do anything other than this, um, this drug called rituximab, which is basically a protein that inserts anti-CD20 cells that targets the specific type of cancer that I had. And now you're fine? Like, I mean, the medication you take for your alphabet soup, for your rare cell type, for all these medical terms that you're dropping on me that I'm not smart enough to understand, you can just go on with your life without any limitations? So it's not, uh, I'd say it's not as effective as um, chemo or radiation. Okay. Um, it's not as, it's not as poignant. It's not, it's not as strong. So down the line, might I have to do this again? Sure. I've heard of cases where people have had to do it again. I've heard cases where They've been fine for 25 plus years. And, you know, medicine is, is constantly changing, constantly evolving. Um, and so for me, I'm, I, I'm doing these rituximab treatments. And uh, as of last Tuesday, I finished up my last treatment. Um, so, you, so you're done with treatment? Yeah, that's, that is accurate. For now? For the, for the next long period of time, yeah. Okay, and so... Would there be another treatment round? Like what's next in terms of them looking after you and taking care of you? So um, my my schedule was looking like this. I finished Tuesday. Um, I signed Wednesday. 
And um, Thursday, I was out running routes with my quarterback and my receivers and my running backs uh, over there at the Saints practice facility at wow. 7.30 in the morning. Okay, so 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 in the same week where you finish treatment, sign, and they're out there playing, how does that change your perspective? For many athletes, um, sweating is one of their one of their only, if not best, forms of medicine. Um, so for me, it's uh, it's when I feel my healthiest. Certainly, when I'm out there with those guys, um, dead legs, tired tired as can be, um, but just surrounded by people who are similarly minded to you. Did you find that you were out of shape? I don't know what you've been able to do and not been able to do this offseason. Where was your conditioning level? My conditioning level was was pretty good, I'd say. Um, oh, boy, Thursday morning, it was warm, I will say. Um, it's just <laughs> not the same. There's, there's, no, there's no shape like football shape. I mean, I could run two and a half miles around the neighborhood four days a week, um, and I could lift all I want. It's just it's never going to – it's not the same. But, you know, it's just – I'm just – I was just – excited to get back out there and probably running a little too hard uh and, uh it was it was a blast i, I was just well, why, why are you laughing you're laughing there like you're thinking of something i know i'm just i'm just pumped up i'm pumped up well were you able to again football ship is one thing but were you able to work out at all this offseason the way you ordinarily would in another football offseason or was it completely disrupted and upended by the treatment that you had to undergo for your cancer. So I'd been, I'd been working out up to the point where I had had the cancer um, diagnosis. And after that, I had, when I had first gotten the diagnosis, I had a, a biopsy on site that kind of knocked me out for about a week. My arm was sore and numb and it was kind of hard to try to try to figure things out. Uh, less than two weeks after that, I was having another surgery to basically pull. It was another biopsy. I had to pull more out of there. Um, and once I finally started to get back from that surgery, start running, start lifting, um, the it basically kind of got it, it kind of got infected or um, it got affected by the rituximab treatments that I was doing. That was basically killing the. Uh, that was basically killing the, the cancer. And so I had to I had to wait out for like 10 days and try not to sweat, which was its own personal hell. But um, it was uh, it, everything kind of kind of worked itself out. And now I'm just starting to get back into actual football weightlifting. OK, getting back into football shape and whatnot with the rituximab. Rituximab. Did I say that right? Rituximab. Yeah. Yeah. Rituximab. yeah. It's rituximab. Okay, I'm learning here. I'm learning here. With the rituximab, what's your weight at right now compared to what you normally have played at, Foster? So the beauty of the beauty of the rituximab is um, it did not affect my quality of life whatsoever. Um, I did four total treatments, each spanning a week apart, all on Tuesdays, um, where I did a, a six-hour transfusion, a, a six, seven-hour transfusion just to make sure that anything you put in your body basically can be poisonous to you. You could be allergic to it. So they had to put it in, in small doses and it was, it was drip. Um, and so I just had to sit on the IV for seven hours. Um, wow. And following, following that, I mean, the next three Tuesdays were five minute shots um, injected, injected through the stomach. Um, 
and I was, I was in and out. Um, but yeah. So the, the best part is it doesn't affect your quality of life. The rituximab. So I didn't lose, I didn't lose weight. Um, I didn't, I didn't lose peace of mind. Um, truly I'd love to, I'd love to sit here and lie to you and say that it was, it was hell. It was hard. It was difficult. It was, it was tough. It was strenuous. I lost weight. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to eat it, but that'd be a, it, it, be a total lie it's a it'd be a, a, a fabric of my imagination it's just not true it was it, the only thing was it was just hard on, on my mental you know what was the hardest part on your mental like when you think back of this off season what was the biggest challenge of going through all that you did go through even though it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as you're making it out to be from a physical standpoint no you know it was it was really it was really the unknowns i yeah. mean just so much uncharted territory, you know, thinking about trying to reach out to guys. And I mean, you find you have a, you have a rare form of cancer and you hear that and you're like, Oh boy, like I'm in for, I'm in for a doozy. This is really going to be, this is going to be a, a tough chapter in the book. It's going to be a long wordy, strenuous, just ungodly chapter. But um, <laughs> it, it, it went, it, it really, it wasn't, it wasn't that difficult. But just knowing that with free agency pending, right? Because after I got that news, I kind of started that back up a little bit with free agency pending with, you know, with the surgery, not being able to work, not being just seeing all my like all my best friends going through phase one, phase two OTAs, just little stuff like that. Right. Just, it, you know, I, I just wanted to be doing something and I just I, I knew I could Um that was that was the that was the hardest part, and just seeing the effect that it put on my on my family, um, you know, and them just looking out, looking after me at, at every turn was so invaluable for me. Um, but it, it was hard for them too. Was any part of your decision to sign with the Saints uh, due to the fact that they uncovered your condition during the physical, or was it more the fact that you're from there? played college football there and just wanted to be back there? Um, you know, Adam, um, the Saints called my agent the day after the diagnosis was given. Um, so I, I did the physical on Saturday. They told me I had Hodgkins. Um, Mickey Loomis, Mickey Loomis called my agent and said, we value him as a, as a player, but more importantly, we value him as a person and, I mean, we would absolutely love to sign him to whatever deal we can, whatever you guys feel comfortable. And whenever he's ready to play, we're, we're excited to have him. Regardless, we're going to keep him here. We're going to keep him at home. And for me, that just that spoke volumes. It really did. So you're, so you're always going to sign with the Saints after the diagnosis as soon as you could? Um, there, was a, there was a couple teams that – you know, I told, um, obviously I went back to the Raiders and I had, uh, I spoke with them for a little bit. Um, they had made some moves outside of, outside of me and, you know, I don't, I don't blame them. You know, I had a, I had a diagnosis for what seemed like I'd be ready, maybe late, mid late season. Um, and I, I, I don't blame them for that. And I, and I knew that they were going to make those moves. Um, but for me, it was just, I didn't know how important it was going to be to be here until 
honest, honest to God, I was working out this morning and I said, you know what, if I had to be, if I had to be in Vegas right now or in Miami or up in Green Bay or wherever it happened to be, um, and I had to finagle everything that I was going to try to do in terms of moving my blood work and getting in touch with my doctors and making sure that I find a place to stay and that I know people and that I know where to go, where to be, where not to be, um, how to get there. It's just, you know, it's, it's going to be so easy on my psyche. Um, and obviously, um, what a dream to play for the hometown team, right? It's, uh, it's not lost on me. You grew up a Saints fan? I sure did. I mean, I've, I've been with the Saints since Aaron Brooks. It's been a while. <laughs> wow. And do you remember your first game going to the Superdome as a kid for a Saints game? Did you ever go oh. when you were growing up there, Foster? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, golly, I, I I went to I went to plenty before I even knew what was what was happening. I remember seeing a field goal one time and wondering what what in the heck that was. Um, I, I honestly I honestly I couldn't remember. Um, but just same as same as almost any Saints fan who's been with the team for more than fifteen years. Um, you know, we all. Anyone who was affected by Hurricane Katrina remembers um, Steve Gleason's blocked punt um, in the first game back in the Dome against Atlanta better than they remember um, their social security number or their least favorite child's birthday. Um, it was That was an unbelievable moment for me. Um, and I have a ton of respect for, for Steve Gleason um, as, a, as a person and obviously a player. He's the man. I'll tell you something amazing about that night. ESPN carried that game. And there were people on the scene, Chris Morrison, Tom Jackson, Chris Berman, some veteran legends. To this day, they say it may have been the single most emotional, inspirational moment that they've ever attended, witnessed in person for a football game. That block punt, the night back for post-Katrina, what that place was like, the energy, all the feeling. I was not there that night. I don't think I was working for ESPN just yet, but that night for anybody who is in attendance is something that they never will forget. Amen. Amen. Right? It gives me chills thinking about it. What, what about the idea of playing with your former Raiders quarterback? Like if I had said to you at some point last season, okay, next year, Foster, Derek Carr is going to be playing quarterback for the saints. You're going to be playing tight end with the saints. You're going to go through everything you went through this off season. What would be your reaction to hearing the wild events that have transpired between, say, February 1 and May 15. Well, to be brutally honest, at first I'd be disgusted because, I mean, coming coming back home and then just the ticket situation in and of itself is just <laughs> is a logistical nightmare. Uh, no, I'm joking. I, I'd, I'd be I'd be over the moon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm great friends with Derek and I'm lucky to call him a friend. Um, but even more a mentor, um, just coming into the league, I remember going through the, the rookie, the rookie meetings that you have to do the player engagement meetings. Um, and I remember writing it down. I still have it in my first, my first NFL offseason notepad. Um, Derek told all of us, he says, you only get this chance once. Please make it count and don't make it count for anyone other than you. And I 
I mean, it was so powerful for me. I, I remember where he was sitting. I remember how he said it. Um, just a, a special guy and a special leader. Uh, I'll, I'll always be, I don't know if I, I don't know if indebted is the right word, but just I'll, I'll have a, a massive amount of reverence for the, I mean, especially the man, but obviously the player. Well, did it surprise you with everything that he went through last year that it wound up the way that it did with him finding his way to New Orleans? In a way, in a way, it definitely did. Um, I, I didn't expect it to be here, certainly. But um, before any before any news broke, he he shot me a FaceTime call back sometime late, late January, early February. And um, it was a it was a very interesting situation. He said, hey, hey. Where are some good places to live down there in Nolens? I said, shut <laughs> up, man. Take that buzz cut and press the big red X, the, the big red X button. I just, I was so sick to my stomach. And then we bartered back and forth with uh, with what would, what would be a good spot for him. Um, but he's, you know, he, he's got a great family. Um, he's got a great family for, for beautiful smart as can be kids and and his wife yeah. heather is a fantastic mother and, and wife yeah. and and christian they're they're tremendous people did, did he take your advice is he living in the neighborhood that you recommended to him back then foster he is certainly and funny enough one of the houses that i sent him um i am now looking at my entire family just left to go to go look at it and it's 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 the most my world has never been so small, Adam. It's never been as small as it is at this very moment. But it's a beautifully wonderful small world, right, Foster? It's a small world you couldn't have imagined. Man, you, amen. Yeah, it right? it is wonderful. It it's 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 extremely wonderful, and I'm I'm grateful and I'm blessed. Um, it's just it's it's powerful. And you don't expect to have any physical limitations this season, right? Like, in other words, the Saints are getting the guy that finished last year as strong as you did. By the way, you are on my fancy team last year, and I'm interested right now in picking you up this year because I think you have the chance to have a major role there in New Orleans, Foster. Like, you could have that kind of year for the Saints as you did for the Raiders finishing up second half of last year. We got we got some great young weapons on this team. I'm just excited to see how we, how we work work ourselves out um you know I, i'm coming into a i'm coming into a interesting tight end room you know obviously Taysom hill um tremendous player in terms of how they use him um mm -hmm. he plays in line a lot better than people give him credit for uh, and obviously there's the there's the running aspect from a, a direct snap situation um and then juan johnson had a tremendous year last year really broke out um and he's certainly a leader on this offense that um, I'm really excited to pick his brain and see what I can learn for my game. Um, but I'm excited. We got a lot of young weapons and, and guys who are really hungry to get the ball in their hands and make a play. Um, Alave, uh, Shahid, it's just, these guys are, these guys are really great. We added Jamal Williams. He's tremendous. Alvin's awesome. And Mike Thomas is coming back and, and he's hungry as ever. Um, I'm I'm excited. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of talent Certainly. there. Now, how many how many ticket requests will you have to accommodate here, like for the opener? I'll probably field a I'll field a few 
dozen, I'd imagine, and we'll have to be selective from where we go from there. I, we, I mean, we played, we played here last year, and funny enough, I got, uh, I got convinced into uh, buying a box for thirty-five of my closest relatives, <laughs> and uh, the exact the tagline that I remember them using was. Uh, I mean, how many times do you play in front of your home crowd, you know, from your hometown? And little did I know, I'll be playing eight times this year, nine times, eight times this year, nine times next year. And that, I mean, that's not even including playoffs. So we'll, we'll see. Funny how these things work out though. Your off season takes this circuitous path that takes you to Cincinnati and New Orleans and a physical into treatment for a tuximab. Did I get it right? Yeah, rituximab. You're right there. Rituximab. Okay. For rituximab. I'll get it right one of these times. Okay. Hey, but by the way, we're done with the treatment. We don't even need to pronounce it right anymore, Foster. It doesn't even matter anymore. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. right. And here you are now today working out with your former quarterback in New Orleans, going to look at the house that or the neighborhood that you recommended to him. Small world. <laughs> Foster, you're the man. I truly appreciate taking some time. Truly happy to see you get that opportunity down there. I know you're going to do great things down there. We'll be watching and we'll be rooting for you. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate it. After listening to that, who's not rooting for the new Saints tight end, Foster Moreau. We wish him the very best of luck in New Orleans, in that Saints offense during his homecoming. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small, and when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From Foster Moreau to Mike North, who has been working in the league office for over 20 years and is heavily involved in putting together the NFL schedule as he deals with all 32 teams, network partners, stadium operators, and others in order to put together all 272 games of the NFL schedule. NFL executive, Mike North. Mr. North. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right today. How are you, sir? You're on, out on the road? Out on the road, man. Drop the schedule and then get out of Dodge. <laughs> yeah, I, I should really start there, right? Like, when the schedule comes out, 
Is that the equivalent of a college student finishing his final exams and you're done now for a while? Well, yes and no, right? The college kid finishes his final and then he's got to wait and see what the grade is. So we're still waiting to see what the grade <laughs> is, taking feedback from the teams, the networks. That's what the uh, you know last few days have been. Most of it as we would have expected, but you know certainly some learnings in there. So that's part of the experience too. But now that the furor hopefully has died down and everybody's got what they need, um, yeah, back in my hole till next spring. Mike, what has been the feedback and what are the learnings that you take away from the 2023 regular season schedule? Well, I think for the most part, what we have found over the years is that on, you know, Wednesday or Thursday, when we call the teams on Wednesday and the networks on Thursday, everybody just kind of focuses obviously on their own schedule. It's the only part they know. So when they look at their own schedule, you know, ah, oh, hey, don't love this, don't love that, but totally get it. We're fine. Thanks for listening to us. Yeah. You know, nobody gets everything. Everybody gets something. So for the most part, they do kind of see their own schedules Wednesday and Thursday, and they react, you know, not too negatively. Then the whole schedule drops Thursday night. Now they see what everybody else got, <laughs> whether it's another team or another network. And then there's a phone call. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not sure I feel as good about my schedule as I did yesterday. Why did they get this? Why did they get that? How come I have to do this? How come they got the big game? So there's definitely two steps to the process of the schedule reveal. And so what do you learn from that this year that you would apply to next year? Well, from a network television standpoint, I think what we learned a lot of is you've heard us talk a lot about, you know, every game's a jump ball, every game's a free agent. Um, but you could really tell, certainly in their reactions and in what they've said publicly, that CBS and Fox still really are looking at their packages as NFC and AFC-centric. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that we did go ahead and consider, you know, a game like Cincy KC or a game like Buffalo KC, you know, could be anywhere, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, CBS doubleheader, we absolutely looked at it as a potential Fox doubleheader as well. I think realizing the, you know, emotional reacting, you know, qualitative as opposed to quantitative mm-hmm. i think you know i personally was thinking hey great every game's a jump ball these packages are going to look wildly different to hear how much all the packages how the partners were still thinking about no no still kind of want the nfc centric on the fox side afc on the cbs side i think was a lesson that we'll probably carry forward i'm not sure we're going to do it every year we fought so hard and, and negotiated for all this flexibility don't want to waste it still want to use it but to the extent that they still, CBS and Fox, look at their packages and NFC and AFC-centric, that was a good takeaway. And from a team side, you know, I, I think one of the things I've learned certainly over the years, but especially this year, is we tend to look at the primetime packages and the Sunday afternoon 425 games as kind of comparable. We look at them as national television appearances. Yes, 425 on a Sunday afternoon, maybe you're not on in 100% of the country, but you're on in 80 85% of the country quite a bit. To us, that's still a national appearance. And that's where, you know, our most viewers kind of amass on a weekend. We get more people most Sunday afternoons at 425 than we do in any of our primetime packages. So to us, Sunday afternoon 425 is comparable to primetime. Not necessarily true to the clubs. They kind of all look at how many primetime games did we get? How many primetime games did uh, other teams in our division or our conference or who we consider rivals get? There's definitely a bit of a disconnect between, you know, primetime and 425 in the afternoon. Hopefully that's something I, I hope we can kind of break down over the years. Well, is that something you present to teams? Do you even need to do that? Like here is the numbers, here is the breakdown of how many people will view 
a game in the 425 window on a Sunday as opposed to a primetime game? Look, I think they know. Um, you know, we get very comprehensive ratings, you know, information sent out every week. It goes to all the clubs. It goes to all the networks. I mean, say what you will about Nielsen ratings. They are still the currency that, you know, our industry works on and our league works on. So everybody sees the Nielsen industry, Nielsen numbers every weekend. They know that those Sunday afternoon windows sometimes get up to 25, 26, 28 million. Um, that's where we get the vast majority of, you know, our, our most watched games. So I, I think when a club looks at it after another day or two, they might say, yeah, okay, only a couple of primes, but a couple of big 425 windows, you know, as long as we're playing well, our fans are still going to be able to find us. But like I said, kind of that emotional reaction on release day, you know, what do you mean only two or three primes? And, and what do you mean those guys got four or five? You know, part of it is just, um, you know, evolution of our packages. We've got a lot more primetime games now than ever before. You know, the Amazon package has grown. The Monday night football package has now the two side-by-sides, now three side-by-sides, I should say, Monday night games. So there's just more primetime games than ever before. So maybe just the raw numbers feel a little higher on a team-by-team basis. You look at a team like, um, you know, Chicago, you know, it's a three-win team from last season. You wouldn't normally expect five years ago that team to be in four or five primetime games. But we have that many more primetime games to, to, to fill, more mouths to feed. And, you know, Chicago's a team, given its market size and its national fan base and its exciting quarterback, that despite their record from last year, network partners are still angling for. And the league is making a bet on the Chicago Bears. The Bears are going to be featured. How many times are they on primetime, Mike? I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think it's probably five. I think that's right. I think five is the number on the Bears. But I want to go back to one thing you said before. We talk about the free agent games and how it used to be for years. AFC games were predominantly CBS and Fox games were predominantly Fox. And people have been accustomed to think in those terms. How much of a difference was it for you and your fellow schedule makers as you sat down to do the schedule, knowing that every game this year essentially was a free agent game and didn't belong to a certain network? Yeah, very different. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to really take a 10,000 foot look at all of these 272 games and not sort of be pigeonholed into, well, we can only really do it here. Or if we have to, quote unquote, take this game away from CBS, then how are we going to make it up to them? You know, all that's kind of, you know, a, a relic of a bygone era. So we could really just kind of look at each of the 272 games as a standalone asset and figure out the best way to use it for our fans. You know, we're not doing our jobs. If you take a big game and you're stuck with having to put it Sunday at one o'clock where only, you know, 15 or 20% of the country can watch it. The example I keep giving when I talk to people is Cincinnati, Kansas city. Like we know that's a big game, obviously, but think about all the different ways we could have deployed that game. It could have been a Sunday night game easily. A Monday night game would have been a heck of a message for Thursday night. Could have been on, you know, Black Friday even. Could have been a CBS doubleheader, a Fox doubleheader. It could have been kickoff game. It could have been in Germany. I mean, there's an awful lot of ways that we could have used that one game. Multiply that conversation by 272. And what actually happened this year was the solution space, the number of options, the amount of time we needed to search through that solution space every night kind of escalated maybe a little more than I anticipated. So night to night, maybe we couldn't iterate as quickly as we would in the old days. But the good news was as we finished schedules, they were all even better because we were taking advantage of some of this flexibility. And you can see games that you wouldn't normally expect on a different network 
best example might be Thanksgiving, right? We're playing a Commanders Cowboys game. How, how we all grew up thinking, you know, Madden and Summer all calling that game, you know, thinking it's got to be a Fox game. Mm, that game's now on CBS. Wow. Right. So let's go back to the Bengals Chiefs game to use that as an example with all the different ways that you could have deployed it. I don't even know exactly where that game wound up coming in. I'm sure you do. But how did you come to the conclusion of placing it wherever you ultimately did? Yeah, a bit of a misnomer there. The, the, in the old days, you're, I don't want to say you're old enough, but you're experienced enough to, know, to remember the days when Thank you, Mike. You know, we used to sit in that room right where you and I used to share a cubicle. We used to sit in that room <laughs> and we literally used to build the schedule you know, one game at a time. Yep. And so you would sequentially build the schedule all the way down. And if something wild happened at the end, it was probably too late to go back and change anything. We don't do it that way anymore. We don't build the schedule top down. We build it inside out. So what we tell the computer is here's all the games that are eligible for Sunday night, for Monday night, for the doubleheader pool. And then as we start seeing options, we start saying to ourselves, hey, wait a minute, the computer's just doing what it's told, but is that the right thing to tell it? Maybe if Cincinnati, Kansas City were going to land as a Fox doubleheader, you know, maybe week two isn't the right place to do that. So you tell the computer, hey, when you spin it tonight, since KC still eligible for all these pools, but let's put some guardrails around it. And let's say maybe that one shouldn't be that early in the season. Maybe using it on kickoff isn't the best use. Maybe taking that one to Germany isn't the best use. So you kind of put your thumb on the scale and you kind of guide the software. You guide the computers to some place where you feel like if it's going to land on a finished schedule, you're going to feel better about the end product. And it happened to land since KC did in week 17, CBS doubleheader. We had a long talk about, hey, is that too late? Right, Bengals Chiefs, yeah. did you wait too long? What if yep. one or both of them is clinched? What if a quarterback got hurt? Did you wait too long to utilize one of the best assets that our fans have this year? But then we kind of came around to the other side. If you had to roll the dice right now and pick two teams that are going to be in it and playing for something in Week 17, I think Bengals Chiefs are probably two good bets. It's very interesting. That was my first reaction when I saw that that game was Week 17. Uh, there's so many variables variables at that point in time, right? Maybe one of those teams has a division clinch. Maybe one of those teams, as you mentioned, has an injury, and it is one of the most desirable games. The truth of the matter is there's really no bad spot for it. It's just a question of where do you want to ultimately deploy it? And you went with Week 17 New Year's Eve, right? That's a New Year's Eve game, correct? It is. It is. But again, it, it wasn't a, hey, let's put this game here and then solve around it. It was a, hey, here's a finished schedule where all 272 games have legal, you know, arguably smart homes. And one of the things about this schedule that maybe isn't optimal is Cincy KC on December 31st. Do we want to throw this schedule in the garbage because that game landed there? Well, what's the alternative? You're going to play a different CBS doubleheader game that weekend. What do any of us know as for, you know, who's still going to be in contention here? One of the things we talked about a lot was, you know, as you know, Howard Katz is, you know, I don't want to call it a legacy because I hope he never leaves, but yeah. if he ever leaves, his legacy is going to be all these division games late in the year. And division games, week 16, 17, obviously all division games in 18, those mm -hmm. tend to have, you know, playoff implications. So we looked at division games for the doubleheaders in those weeks as well. Just happened to land on this one. And if the worst thing about our schedule from a television standpoint is Bengals Chiefs, Week 17, right. CBS doubleheader, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good risk. How many schedules would you say you went through? My understanding is well over 100,000 different types of schedules. 
Yeah, it's always over a hundred thousand. I'm I'm not sure the actual number that gets reported every year is you know a hundred percent accurate, but mm-hmm. it's always over a hundred thousand. The difference for us this year was took a little longer to find them, but when we found them, they were better. Mm-hmm. So maybe we didn't make quite as many just raw numbers of schedules as we've had in the past, but this additional flexibility allowed us to see a lot more options and felt like every time the computer spit out a schedule, it was like, huh, this is worth a look. Oh, we should look at this one too. And the difference for us is that those two schedules, like our two finalists, literally the two before we presented to the commissioner Monday, the eighth or whatever it was, the two finalists, we were on a zoom for about four hours, the whole scheduling team really debating. These two schedules were wildly different. They had different kickoff games. Wow. They had different Thanksgiving games. They had wow. different Christmas games. That's rare for us. We're usually pretty dialed in on some of the tent poles by then. But all this flexibility, every game's a jump ball. We ended up really having a lot of wildly different contenders. Made it kind of challenging for the team, not like us, not like we usually have to deal with, to try to pick a winner. Well, what swung it to the one schedule that you used that you presented to Commissioner Goodell on Monday the 8th, as opposed to the one that did not get chosen on Monday, May 8th? Yeah, it was overall balance. I mean, they were both excellent. Um, yeah. It was, uh, it wasn't a unanimous vote. Even by the time we got around to midnight on Sunday, they were both excellent, but they were very yeah. different. And you could make a case that this schedule might be a little bit better for NBC. And that one might be a little bit better for ESPN. This one might be a little bit better for the Texans. That one a little bit better for the Jaguars. This whole thing really is a zero-sum game, right? Anything yeah. good for one team's bad for another. Anything good for one network's bad for another. So it's a little bit of, you know, who's your favorite child and just trying to split the difference and, and split the baby and make sure, like we said, nobody gets everything. Everybody gets something. Nobody should feel, team or network, nobody should feel on release day, this is perfect. We got everything we asked for. We, couldn't, we wouldn't change a thing if we could. And by the same token, nobody should feel like, how could you have done this to us? This is the worst schedule in the history of the National Football League. We hear that from time to time, but I hope it's not true. Well, that's like a negotiation, any negotiation. So I just, for the purposes of having some fun, if you're willing, who would have been the opener in schedule two that wasn't picked on Thursday night? Yeah, we looked at probably all of their home opponents at some point as potential kickoff game options. And there were good arguments, literally, for every single one. Um, honestly, when we first started way back in February, there was definitely a school of thought that we should play Philly. The Super Bowl had just ended. What a fun game. Let's keep going, right? Give Philly the yep. ball, call 38-35, and let's pick up where we left off. There was definitely a school of thought early in the process for that one. Um, as we ended up kind of thinking about some of the other homes for most of those home games, all of which are going to be great. Uh, the other one that really came down to the wire was Vegas. That was the kickoff game on the finalist that did not win. Las Vegas was the one that was also considered, huh? Look, everybody was considered. We've yeah, got yeah, yeah. finished schedule with Miami, with Cincy, with the Chargers, with the Broncos. We could have made great stories. Any one of them would have been awesome. Um, as we got to the very, very end, tried to flesh out the balance between all the television partners, all the teams, all the stadium issues, everything we have to deal with. The two finalist schedules, one had Detroit, one had Vegas. Wow. And we went with the Detroit schedule. And what do you think gave that particular schedule the advantage in the end, Mike? Anything? Uh, 
Well, again, it's sort of an overall balance. I'll tell you the biggest differences were probably, you know, some of those tent pole games. I think Detroit or Vegas would have been great for kickoff, but then it had to do with, all right, where does the rest of the NBC schedule go from here? And I think this one that we're holding kind of struck the balance we were looking for between, you know, hey, let's get off to a fast start. Everybody wants, you know, to be talking about ratings are up 6 8 10% if we can through the first four or five weeks of the season. I feel like this NBC schedule gives Sunday Night Football a chance to do that. It has a good run-in at the back end for them. Like we said, division games, sort of the staple of our December schedules, whether it's Pitt, Cincy, Green Bay, Mini, down the stretch. I think the Sunday Night schedule had a really good balance, a really good cadence, a really good flow. Again, that Cincinnati KC doubleheader game, you know, let's talk again in six months. If that right. game was for the number one seed in the AFC and 28 million people get to watch it on a Sunday afternoon before they go out for New Year's Eve, the schedule makers look really smart. If one or both of those teams have, has clinched and that game is not going to be the game, we end up having to move it back to, you know, noon central time in Kansas City and hopefully find a different game to use as a doubleheader. Maybe that wasn't the best use of that asset. Team three-game road trips, road after road Mondays, who started two away, who's got to play teams coming off five weeks. Like, all the things that have to go into the calculus of, is this our best schedule? This one ended up winning out right at the end, and, and it was close. Let me ask you this question. If Aaron Rodgers and that trade were not complete right now, what would have happened if we were sitting here today and that trade was still not done, Mike? I think you would still see a lot of Jets games on national television. That was a good football team. And, you know, uh, I think they're, they're right there, you know, exciting skill position players who knows who the quarterback would have been, but you know, I I think you still would have seen they have such a good schedule. Oh my gosh. Right. Between Kansas city and Dallas and and Philly and all their good games, those games had to be used in national television windows somewhere. Would we have maxed them out? I don't know. Would they have been on black Friday? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of the very, very end of the process. If we had gotten through draft weekend and either Aaron Rodgers trade to the Jets hadn't been solidified or Lamar Jackson hadn't signed with the Ravens, you might have seen a a bit of a hedge on our part just in terms of the national television windows for those two teams. I don't think they would have suddenly gone to zero, but maybe not quite as all in as it appears we are now. You mentioned last week that the Bengals volunteered to be a permanent team on Black Friday and make it a tradition and make it a tradition like the Cowboys and Lions have on Thanksgiving. Is that something the league might want to look at in the future or is the plan there just to continue rotating games on Black Friday? Yeah, that's not up to me. That's up to the commissioner. That's up to ownership. I I don't think we were looking for this season to commit to a permanent home for Black Friday. Let's right. play one first and let's see what we learn and let's see what makes sense and let's see if it works for our fans. I, I don't think we were looking, you know, on day one to deploy this with a permanent home, but certainly something we should talk about. Certainly let's see what happens this year. Let's see what the fan reaction is to that day. And then I'm sure we'll go back to ownership. We'll go back to membership and we'll talk about, you know, would we be interested in, is that a good idea for the NFL? Uh, I'm sure there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. Uh, I hope, hope I'm not speaking out of turn when I mention to people that the Bengals volunteered. There were others that kind of raised their hand for Black Friday as well. But, oh, wow. um, you know, we certainly looked at, you know, a Steelers-Bengals game, for instance, or a Ravens-Bengals game in Cincinnati on Black Friday. Would have been a great first Black Friday 
you know, opportunity and then go from there. And if it was wildly successful and the fans embraced it and everybody loved it and we wanted to talk about doing it over and over and over again, absolutely something I'm sure we'll consider. But I, I don't think we were ready to lock in on that year one. Let's let's play one first. Let's see what we learn and then decide. Other teams volunteered for the Black Friday game or to host it on an annual basis? A bit of both. I mean, look, uh, I'll tell you the Jets, and again, this should be them telling this story, probably not me, but the Jets, once they found out they were the host team, then started to think about, hey, is this something we could, you know, make a permanent fixture as part of the NFL schedule? So maybe they didn't raise their hands in February, but now that they have been you know, selected as the Black Friday host for week one, I, I think they might be interested in it too. I think I think everybody will look at Black Friday now. It's rare that we have a new window like this, a new kind of holiday tradition. I think everybody's going to be curious. Let's see what happens, see what we learn, see what the fans tell us, and go from there in terms of whether we rotate it around like we do with that third Thanksgiving game or whether we want to someday select a permanent host for Black Friday. So more data is needed before Lee can make a decision there. Look, more data is always needed, right? Like we said, this is the first year of these new media deals. So we're all going to learn a lot about, like you said, every game's a jump ball. Well, how did we, you know, dole all the high-end assets out to our network partners? Our fans are going to tell us. Are they going to find the side-by-side Mondays to be, you know, something fun and interesting for the fans? Are they going to find the Black Friday game on Amazon.com in front of the paywall? Is the Christmas triple header the right balance of, you know, division games and non-division games as we come down the stretch there. Uh, we're always, always collecting data from our teams, from our fans, from our partners, and trying to, you know, incorporate all that into the next version of this impossible puzzle. Hmm. Last thing, Mike, and I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. You've been doing this now for over 20 years. Did you ever imagine that an NFL schedule release would get this much hype and excitement and each team's social media team gets an extensive or gets a creative and possible and each team gets as creative as possible in it basically becoming the Super Bowl for each team's content creators. I love it. Uh, I never would have imagined. I mean, again, you and I are uh, experienced enough to remember that schedule <laughs> used to kind of come out almost stealth, right? It used to pop out kind of middle of February. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, middle of April. You know, you'd get a note on a Wednesday, hey, white smoke from the scheduling room, and then all of a sudden it's out on a Thursday. That didn't give anybody any time to build out, you know, a really impressive social media execution. It didn't give people time to, you know, think about travel plans and, and you know, ticket prices and all the things that go into an NFL season now. Having this post-draft sort of, you know, target for everybody gives you time to build, gives you a chance to kind of, do something fun and interesting and, and, and different. Um, you know, is it better? Is it worse? Heck, I don't know. I can't believe people care so much. I love that they do. I'm appreciative, grateful, humble. I'm sure they're sick of hearing from me over these past couple of days. But, you know, the team works their tail off. They really do. It's a 24-7 exercise for everybody. And the fact that people care so much and for the most part, feedback is relatively positive. I think it kind of, you know, girds everybody up for next year. We'll let Charlotte carry, get a good night's sleep, but we'll start thinking about 2024 here soon enough and hopefully try to do better. And that would be my last thing. And by the way, like everything about the league, everything is bigger, right? The draft is bigger. The combine's bigger. Free agency is bigger. The games are bigger. Everything is bigger. So it only figures that the schedule release, which used to be, as you mentioned, just something that was like an afterthought where newspapers would put it in their agate 
the next day. And that was it, right? There was the team schedule. There was no social media to amplify it. Everything is bigger in the league. So we would only figure that the release of the schedule in mid-May when not a whole lot else is going on in the world of football, it would take on a life of its own. And it has. So that's yeah. what. But, and, yeah. and look, you got all, all due respect, right, to, to the commissioner, to Hans Schroeder, to Peter O'Reilly, the guys that really kind of sat down and said, we might be really missing an opportunity here to turn schedule release into an off-season tentpole. You sneak it out a week or two before the draft. It's almost like between segments about, you know, draft right. prospects or mock draft. Like, let April be all about the kids and these guys who have, you know, worked their whole lives for this moment. Let them have that moment. Take a week post-draft to sort of give everybody their draft grades. And then, okay, now that we know where everybody's playing, now we get to think about when. And so it, the cadence does make a little bit more sense instead of kind of sneaking it out mid-April like that. Even though it would have been nice at some times to have it done, um, you know, have it come out in May, let everybody kind of build to it. And then to your point, everybody's got this kind of marker where they know they're shooting for. And now the social media teams can go out and do these incredible executions and and these really fun things that, you know, have gone viral and everybody looks forward to them now. Uh, it's amazing. And I'll do respect to those guys. But when you say it's their Super Bowl, I don't remember who it was. I think it was a young lady from the Titans when they said, hey, is this your Super Bowl? And she said, no, man, the Super Bowl is my Super Bowl. So <laughs> I, I like that answer. I know they're proud of what they did, but uh, it's not their Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. But you know what? Just like the draft has evolved and it used to be at Radio City Music Hall and Radio City kicked out the NFL because it had an Easter show for the Rockettes. And the NFL basically evolved and adapted and took the show on the road and took the show on the road and realized it's outgrown indoor venues on the road. So now it's always outdoors, on the road, somewhere else. The schedule is now settled into a comfortable spot. That second week in May, post-draft, the league can release it, get all the attention it does. And so just like everything has sort of evolved over time to give the league the maximum amount of exposure all across the calendar. And it's not just exposure, right? It's execution. By taking the draft out of Radio City, the events team could really think about what if we tried this? What if we did that? What would it look like if, and you start adding musical elements and all the different former players coming back and all the day three picks where they do some really creative stuff. I think schedule release might actually trend in that direction. Just a little bit. We talked about how, well, I don't know that we're going to take it on the road, but whatever it is, second Thursday, not going to do that. But second Mm -hmm. Thursday in May, right. If that's always our target, but we learned this year that the solution space is so much bigger. The number of possible schedulers, is so much greater. I mean, I'm not sure we found the single best one. What if we had an extra couple of days? What if we had an extra couple of weeks? I know we can't put the thing out in July. People need to move. But, you know, May 11th, May 15th, May 16th, I wouldn't ever get settled on, oh, it's always going to be that second Thursday in May. There might be a year where the commissioner says all these candidates, all these finalists are so good. Why don't we spin a couple more days and just see over the weekend and you put it out the following Tuesday. I think everybody would adjust if we put it out four or five days later. So don't get too locked in on that second Thursday in May. No, no, but I am locked in basically in mid-May. I am locked in there. You agree that's with the that? Target. Yep, that's the target. Yep, there you go. So, so we're in agreement there on how it evolves. And by the way, we said here on this podcast that the draft has morphed into the NFL's Coachella. So if the draft has morphed into the NFL's Coachella – the NFL schedule has morphed into what, Mike? 
God. Um, I don't know. Taylor Swift? How about that? <laughs> I was going to say some form of Rubik's I'm kidding. I don't Q. think we're anywhere near Taylor Swift level, but um, look, thrilled to work on this project. It's come a long way. Again, you remember, you know, this, is, yeah. this is so much more advanced, so much more art and science and the combination of those two. For all those years, it was you know, Val Pinchback or Dennis Lewin or Glenn Adamo and Howard Katz. And so much of the schedule kind of came from their gut. This feels big. This sounds like a football game. I'm sure all that's true. We're never going to completely rid ourselves of that, but let's add some more math. Let's add some more science. Let's add some more predictive analytics to really help, you know, solidify why we're making these decisions and feel even better about them when the schedule comes out. And my last thing is last year you mentioned in this spot that next year the games became free agents and that there would be Black Friday and we have flex scheduling on Monday night football for the first time this upcoming season in 2023. Are there any changes that we need to be aware of moving forward in 2024 that are on the table? Uh, that's a good question. Um, as I sit here today, I can't think of anything that wildly impacts yep. what we're going to do differently in 2024. Maybe the biggest change in the, you know, sports landscape is probably the expansion of the CFP playoffs and probably going to have to work pretty closely with those folks and figure out, you know, are they playing on campus? Are they moving off campus to some neutral sites? Where are those games going to fall relative to our calendar? I mean, our calendar's been pretty set for years, right? We play Thursdays, we play Saturdays in December. Like that's where the NFL windows are. Um, what I've read from the CFP folks so far is that they might have to wander into a window or two where we already play um, just to kind of get all their games in. We generally work around the January one bowls, but mm. to the extent that that's going to become a you know mitigating factor for us, as we look at where are we going to play and, and which games are going to fall into those windows, that'll probably be a pretty interesting challenge for us all. Again, I think we give everybody a day or two to catch their breath, but soon enough, probably start talking to Bill Hancock and his team and, and start figuring out the right way to kind of balance what they need to do with obviously what we need to do. Mike, I want to thank you very much as usual. You have done an unbelievable job with the schedule. Uh, the prominence of it continues to grow every year. And I congratulate on your work and hope that you get some downtime now, some well-deserved downtime before we begin to delve into the schedule for the 2024 season. Yep, soon enough. But happy to do it. Always, always good to talk to you, Adam. And uh, yeah, Likewise. I'm sure as you start hearing from people screaming and yelling about their schedules, you know where to find me with constructive criticism. Well, that's what I say. When they call, yell at me, I say, don't talk to me. Go talk to Mike North. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Take care, Mike. Thank you. Always good to talk to you. Take care, Adam. Bye-bye, my friend. And so there is the NFL executive, Mike North. A couple of headlines that stood out to me there. Number one, how about the fact that there were two finalists, two finalist schedules that the NFL easily could have gone with either one. And in one of them, the Las Vegas Raiders would be playing in the regular season opener against the Detroit against the Kansas City Chiefs instead of the Detroit Lions. League obviously considered that plan, but ultimately decided to go with the other plan. But that would have been fun to prepare for as well. Jimmy Garoppolo's first game as a Raider in Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The other thing that stood out to me was the fact that he said that the Jets are interested in hosting the annual day after Thanksgiving Black Friday game, depending on how it goes this year. But we heard about the Cincinnati Bengals 
expressing interest in hosting that game on an annual basis. Well, turns out the Jets have as well. And we'll see what kind of job the Jets do hosting the Dolphins on Black Friday this year. Maybe they will be involved in that game on a regular basis. Something else that's an annual thing. The PGA Championship. Can't wait. This week, the 105th PGA Championship at Oak Hill in Rochester. Love sitting back Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, watching these golfers go. That's one of the hobbies and one of the best parts of the NFL offseason, getting to watch golf's regular season. And these guys do their thing. Love watching them. We'll be glued to the 105th PGA Championship this weekend. Should be fantastic. All right. We want to thank the new Saints tight end, Foster Moreau, who made his second appearance on this podcast in the past couple of months. An outstanding guest. We'll be watching and rooting for him this upcoming season. We want to thank the NFL executive, Mike North, for his time and insights today. I can listen to Mike North talk about the schedule all day long, and he often does. And I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott, for putting together this podcast, and you, the listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week as we are scheduled to be joined by the former Packers and new Jets wide receiver, Alan Lazard, as he talks about a new quarterback in New York. You may have heard of him, Aaron Rodgers. Until then, everybody, have a great week. Be well and stay safe.